Welcome back to the Carp Chronicles podcast. This episode has been a long time coming and I do apologise about that. I know many of you have been really looking forward to part two of Bill Cottom and I'll be honest, we've had a few technicalities that we've had to work through, not only on this episode but us as a podcast in general. So I apologise, everything's been a little bit quiet from us but I can assure you that we will be more regular going forward. Now, before we jump into this episode, I want to announce to you that our long-awaited flavor range is finally finished. We're kicking things off with three different flavors. I won't go into details now, but you can check them out on our website, which is baitbros.co.uk. That's bait, B-A-I-T, bros, B-R-O-S, .co.uk. These flavors are something that we've worked on extensively. They're completely exclusive to us. They're a blend of different compounds flavors as well as an essential oil. So all three of our first flavors that we have, they all contain an essential oil. So you don't actually need to add one. You can do, but we would recommend just leaving them as they are. They've been tweaked and primed to be as efficient as they possibly can be. So try not to tamper with them too much. Pop them in, follow the instructions, and I think you're going to be really, really happy with them. So you can check those out, baitbros.co.uk. Lastly, before we click into this episode with Bill Cottom, obviously we are brought to you by Carp Hunter Giveaways. Check those guys out. As always, they are absolutely awesome. They've always got prize draws going on, and they're very affordable to enter into. So please check them out, carphuntergiveaways.co.uk. With that being said, please enjoy this episode with the one and only Bill Cotton. To me, if you're going to fish an alternative, it needs to be as radically different to your feed bait as you can get. Mm. So, I mean, most of the feed baits I've used in the last five or six years, which originally trigger uh, and now is the formula from RG baits, they're both a very similar colour, like a typical fish mealy brown colour um, and, I, and I like to use white or yellow over the top of that um, a yellow spicy one does very very well for me but I think it's like all this stuff it, it, it's sort of con- it's confidence, I carry a bag around with me that has an assortment of alternative updates in it and I just look in it and think that's the one for me today but it's invariably a white one mm. Incredibly white. I think white is a terrific colour. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely terrific colour. In, in answer to can they blow? Yes, they can. I mean, anything that that sort of smacks you in the face like that. But it's all a bit of a mystery, all this, because if you look at the rig boys, you know, you've got to use a green lead because they spook on it if they can see it. You've got to use green tubing because if they can see it, they'll spook on it. You've got to use a swivel that don't glint too much in the sun, because if they see it, they'll spook on it. You've got to camouflage your hook length, because if they see it, they spook on it. Then you put a yellow bait on, because that attracts them. <laughs> it's a weird one, isn't it? <laughs> just, it's all a bit of a mystery. Um, I think I'll, I know so much of this is is in our own minds, but I mean, I got to the nth degree to camouflage my rigs and then put a white bait on the end because I think it might attract them. So it's a difficult one. But in answer to your question, I mean, the, the waters I fish are pressured by European standards. Mm. But 
that doesn't make them in the quite receiving anything like the, the the sort of pressure that a Wellington Park does or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, all the main screens are taken the vast majority of, ta- um, of the time, but it sees a lot of different approaches. Um, whereas, you know, your, your sort of top circuit waters in the UK, I can see it. It's not a, ta- a tactic of you. Uh, um, I'd use on a water like that. I mean, that's not to say that French car are easy to catch because all that went out the window about 20 years ago. I mean, I yes. think if you can get on first on one of these waters, maybe. But that applies in the UK as well. Yeah. yeah. But, but, but some of these pressured French waters now receive an unbelievable amount of pressure. So, yes, it will come, but I don't think they're blowing on many European waters yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, it's just down to conditioning of the animal, isn't it? It doesn't matter if they're in France or England. It's, it's how yeah. conditioned, you know? I mean, I'm not, I would never claim to be an expert on rigs by any stretch of the imagination, but a lot of my fishing is done with snowman rigs. And I think if you've got two baits of different sizes, two baits of different buoyancies on quite a lengthy hair, I think that creates a problem for them to get rid of it, as opposed to just a single round bottom bait. I mean, I use I use square baits quite a lot, both on the hook and for freebies. Yeah, uh, and I think they are very difficult for them to get rid of. Yeah, if you look at carp in a tank or in a in a pond, just if you can view them up close like that, you watch them spit out something that's. Like just say, just like clamp down on the rolling table, so it's kind of like um, an oblong shape, like a pillow, something like that. Yeah. Or a square bait. It's yeah. it's not coming out as easy as a perfectly round ball is, is it? That's for sure. And the snowman, it's similar. It kind can't of thing. be. It's an it's... Odd, odd shape, isn't it? You're also being different to the vast majority of people who are who yeah. are fishing there. I mean, I had about forty kilos um, of square baits made for me a, a couple of years ago. And I put it on Facebook just to show people what I was doing. People, um, there's a number of people who seem to be interested. I put them on there. A lot of people thought it was a wind-up. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm. I think any, any way you can be different has got to, well, has, got, has generally got to be a good thing, as long as it's not bloody stupid. Of course it has. Yeah. Of course it has. I mean, the square baits give me such confidence. I mean, they go back to the days when, Tim and I were fishing together and we we used to use a bricking method. You know where you make the bait yeah, to a one yeah. pound brick, mm-hmm. cover it in, in cellophane and microwave it yeah, uh, and then carve it up into cubes. I mean, we've moved on a bit from that now, but it's the same principle. And I absolutely love it. Absolutely love the square baits. But I like, I like mixing square baits up with a couple of different sizes around baits. So keep them guessing. You know, I mean, as, as far as far as I'm concerned, the, the only reason a fish has to inspect every little item of food is if they're all exactly the same. If the different sizes, different weights, and require a different amount of suck, if that's the right expression, yeah, they're far less likely to investigate every single morsel of food. 
Yeah. And they're not going to be as suspicious if it's coming up at a different rate, you know? No. They, they, and no. I think they're probably they sucking be. it back harder as uh, anyway. No, no funny jokes there, but yeah. I think they're taking it with more gusto because, you know, they, they can't differentiate between a smaller one or a bigger one when, when they're, you know, in that feeding mode. No. And they don't have eyes on no, their nose. I, I do mean, they, I you think, know? No, but I mean, by using t- two kilos of identical 80 mil baits all in the swim together, I think we're making life harder for ourselves. Mm, yeah. You know, that's why I love halving baits. Some half baits, some crush baits, some barrels, possibly some cubes, all the same recipe, but just just sort of mix it all up. I think it's a massive edge. Yeah. Yeah, definitely agree with you on that one. Uh, These alternative baits that you're using, are they, I I know you mentioned snowman, are they always snowman? Do you use pop-ups at all? I do use pop-ups, yeah. I had a couple of three years where I hardly use them at all. But I have been I have been using them quite a bit lately, mm. um, and they seem to do quite well where I'm fishing at the minute. I mean, I fish them very very low to the ground. So again, I'm not an expert, but but when you've got a pop up on a multi rig or something like that, that's maybe an inch off the bottom, and you've got the size of fish that I'm hoping to catch, the size of fish that I'm targeting. Whether they could twig there off the bottom, I, I don't know. Mm. You know, when, when it's an only inch off the bottom, the eyes are on the, t- the sort of top of the head with mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. a 60 plus fish. I just can't see that coming up and, and thinking, oh, look, that one's a little bit off the bottom. I, ju- I just don't buy it. I just think the joy of a pop up is your hook's not masked by any debris on the bottom, your hook's clean, the presentation's clean. And I think when they pick it up and move off, you, you've got what is definitely a bear hook, mm-hmm. you know, as opposed to it being around a little twig or a little bit of debris or something like yeah. that. So yeah. I think I think there's a lot to be said for it. I mean, I'm not a fan of two and a half inch or three inch pop-ups or anything like that, but no. when they're just ni- nicely off the bottom, I think it's a great presentation for, mm-hmm. uh, for sort of hooking. Yeah, I think everything just happens a bit quicker as well, doesn't it? You know, it's it's already part up off the yes, floor and it's going to turn mm. quicker and they're going to tighten up the hook length quicker in theory. Um, so, yeah, it makes yeah. sense. It makes sense. With with the hook baits, I mean, did you did you ever used to, you know, knock up your own and add anything like DMPT, astaxanthin, anything a bit fringe on them or not? Yeah, not not so much. I'd, I used to make my own, or the guys at work used to make them for me, and I used to boost flavour levels, boost a few bits and pieces. But most of my alternative hook baits are boosted with liquids as opposed to additives in, in the bait. Okay. Is this hydrolysates or essential oils or something else? It tends to mirror what's in the bait. I, I will tend to use... Possibly a hydroslate of some description with the matching flavour that's in the bait in it. Um, you know, and I've got baits that I've got baits that have been in soak for 15 years, you know, and they're absolutely rock hard. They literally can't absorb anymore. And they're, they're just brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Yeah, definitely. Is there any particular um, hydro that you're you're impressed with now obviously the the well loves l030 is is no longer isn't it um 
Is there anything? No, I don't believe it is. Days? No, no, it's not. There's quite a few new ones on the market, though. Are you a big fan of any? Yeah, of there's, there's some. There's some. Yeah, I mean, there's a pre-digested krill kicking around that's very, very nice. Um, a couple of the livers I like. I mean, livers just terrific. But I mean, m- most of my alternative hook baits are either spicy or fruity, so they don't really mm. lend themselves to anything like that. But um, yeah. yeah, I just want as much attraction as I can in that alternative hook bait, you know. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think the krill hydro's gone now as well. Um, certainly, I yeah, can't. I think you can still get it in smallish quantities. I think can you? Uh, okay, okay. I'm not sure. As I say, I've lo- I've lost touch with it all a little bit. I mean, it's uh, yeah, a lot of these products are getting harder and harder to get. But as you mm-hmm. say. As one door closes, another one opens. And there are some very, very nice liquids about there these days. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. You, know, you mentioned you're a fan of the liver products. Is that just exclusively mm. beef liver, which is hard to get now as well? Or are you into the chicken livers, the, the pig livers? Do you have a preference? I think chicken and pig liver are okay, but it, given a choice, beef's the one. But like you say, it's very difficult to get. Yeah, it's expensive as well, isn't it? Bloody expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair it's enough. gonna get it's gonna get it's gonna get difficult for the bait companies. I think. I mean, Brexit's not helped in a lot of areas. Um, a lot of flavors have been removed from the flavor suppliers lists, and it's it's only gonna get harder. I think. Suddenly, mm. mm. you know, there's more, more and more more and more restrictions, and it's gonna get difficult. It's a bit of a worry, isn't it? Because so much of it isn't made in the UK. So yeah. it's, you know, it's all subject No, that's to it. Mm. That's it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Hopefully it all, I mean, I don't know. Hopefully some good will come out of it, you know, and, and perhaps we'll get some more bits and bobs manufactured by some of the UK companies. I know Bath, British Aqua Feeds are, are doing some of their own stuff in-house, which is good. And uh, yeah, hopefully yeah. some other companies. Yeah, will, I mean... Will, the- that's got to be the way forward. I, I mean, a mate of mine, Dave Moore, who's involved with rolling baits, he's um, he's producing a couple of his own hydro slates now, and it's uh, it's got to be the way forward. But it's not an easy thing to do. Mm. Are they available through the Rolling Baits website? I'm not sure if they're available as raw materials. I know they incorporate them. In a couple of the baits, whether they're available for materials, I'm not sure. Right. Okay. Okay. I might have to look into that. It's, it's got to be done, isn't it? In yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, Dave, not only is an exceptional carpenter, he's a very, very bright fella. Um, so it's not something. I don't mean it disrespectfully, but it ain't something that Fred in the shed's going to be doing in a hurry. No, no, I understand. I I understand that absolutely. Dave is um he was responsible for a few of the Nutribates mixes, wasn't he? I know he did the big fish mix. Did he have much of a role in yeah, the Yeah, he mixes? was No, not particularly. I mean he was me, me and him put big fish mix together, but it was ninety-five percent Dave, I have to say. Um and he's one of them fellas that I always bounce stuff off and he was always very, very helpful, very, very sort of knowledgeable. I mean, you get you get people who um, think that being a field tester is to use the going bait 
on their lay. And that's not a field tester, that's a sponsored angle. Yeah. You know, p- people like Dave Moore and Ken, Ken Townley were out and out field tests. You could give them something with no no history to it, no idea whether it's going to be any good or not, and they'd go and use it. Not twice, they'd go and sit behind it. And that's what, there's not so many people prepared to do that. You know, I mean, where, when it when it comes off and you're the first to get your hands on a special product, it's great. But I would think out of the, certainly the additives that we tested at Nutribase, probably one in 20 saw the light of day. Mm-hmm. And what and what that means is the, the truth sort of field testers are going to be spent a lot of time sat behind something that's not as good as they could they could be using straight off the shelf. But if you're gonna if you're gonna field test something properly, that's the way it has to be. Hundred percent. I've said this in other podcasts. It, it's not fun testing different things. It really isn't because, like you say, you haven't got a. Well, it's either blue. great. It's either great. No, I haven't. It's either great or it's yeah. incredibly frustrating because yeah. you might be using something that takes a while to get going. Yeah. It might never get going, uh, 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 um, and potentially they could have wasted a summer. Definitely. So, so that is that is a special type of angler, a special type of sponsor angler. Because I mean, we used to get phone calls all all day long when I had you uh, I want to be a field tester. Nobody's using trigger on my lake. No, that ain't a field test, is it? No. That's somebody who wants some bait. That's somebody who wants some bait. You. Yeah, and I think even that's changed now. I think these people that get bait deals, they call themselves consultants. <laughs> I don't, they don't yeah, do any yeah. bloody consultant yeah. whatsoever. You know, they just get slightly cheaper bait. Um, yeah, it's... the problem you've got now, the problem, the problem you've got now is catching fish ain't going to impress anybody anymore. It's all been done. It's all been caught. You know, mm. I, how many times a year do you go on social media, see a fish and your mouth, and your mouth drops off? If you go back to the 90s, it used to be quite regular. Yeah. But now, it's, we've all been impressed by fish captures as much as we can. And it's um, consistency, great. Um, it's the consistent anglers that I always respect rather than the kid who catches one one sort of big and every five years but um, the the wow factor from ca- from catching 10 30s a year has gone and mm-hmm. sadly mm-hmm. so I mean and you look at you look at companies like mainline who who know their onions he don't need consultants does he definitely not he needs people to promote the brand and provide pictures and, uh, and show people what it catches. They don't need telling how to put a bait together. So, so the word consultant is a, a bit of a stretch, isn't it? Really? Yeah, it's, uh, it's to put it lightly, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Um, Pete, you got anything to add to what we were we were just talking about? Hook baits and hydrolysates, different things like that. I was I was going to jump in with the hydro thing because I know there's there's a lot of guys making their own at the moment. Um, yeah, but for me, it's sort of one of those things where I just can't imagine you could get consistency in batches. I can imagine any batch you create yourself in a shed, there would always be difference in consistency. I think um, that I think he'll tell you better than me. I think that's Dave's problem. Right. Okay. You know, if, if anybody can do it, he will. But it's mm-hmm. uh, 
I don't know real. I don't know too much about what's involved, but I know enough to know it's not an exact science. No, you know, that's it, it. It's, uh, it's a difficult process, and it's. I think you need to to do it on a on a big scale anyway. It's it's laboratory conditions, isn't it? You need ideally. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and the other thing I was going to say is you mentioned colours blowing, Bill. Um, and I was going to ask you with sort of high attract hook baits and things whilst we were on the topic. Um, what are your thoughts on flavours blowing or essential oils, flavours, um, or do you see it as more of a colour thing? I think with flavours and additives, I think it's all about inclusion rates. I mean, if you take black pepper, mm-hmm. you know, at a sensible low level, it, it's catching life is endless, really. It just goes on and on and on. You put it in too high and it, and it will blow. I mean, so many people and so many commercial, commercially available baits are just way, way over the top in, in mm. terms of smell level for me. You know, I'm, I'm not talking so much about alternative hook baits, but for your feed bait, your long-term food baits, there's a big argument that says you don't need any flakes or essential oils in it. Yeah, I mean... I think me and, me and Sam, we've discussed this before, haven't we? How we've gone from a, a part of our sort of our bait making. We used to make it together where we wouldn't touch a flavour and we were paranoid to to me yeah. now, especially I fish sort of 10, 12 hour sessions. And whilst I'm sort of trickling bait in all the time, I like to have a little bit of flavour in there. If I think it's certain flavours, it's it's confidence, isn't it, behind your rods? I think so. But I mean, um, as I mentioned in, uh, um, in the first podcast, we... The key is to pick the baits that suits your style of fishing. Mm-hmm. You because know, everybody's style of fishing is different. Um, and if you're fishing the same lake f- four days a week, you you don't need a flavour. You just need a good quality base mixed with perhaps a liquid food in there. If you're dotting about here, there and everywhere, an evening there, a day there, a morning there, then you need to book, have to boost it with some uh, inbuilt of attraction and it's not going to blow so it's it's all about sitting down and thinking right what do i want from my bait how do i best achieve it mm-hmm. have you have you got any ingredients that you'd use uh where you think you could use um at high inclusion levels for forever and you'd be confident they wouldn't blow i don't think greenlit muscle would blow i mean obviously the, there is an upper limit but at the levels we, we, we've used it at up to sort of 10, 12 grams a, a, a pound or half a kilo uh, mm-hmm. in, new, in new money. I don't think that'll blow. I mean, 100% natural products, unless you go absolutely ridiculous, shouldn't blow. Essential oils shouldn't blow unless you go absolutely ridiculous. But the problem a lot of people have with essential oils the time served bait boys get it. They, they get it that to get the best out of geranium oil, you haven't got to be able to smell it from three swims down the bank. But you guys who've used Richworth Tutti Frutti or whatever bait that has, that's quite sort of pokey on the nose, they find it hard to switch to a subtle bait. And as a consequence, they put more in than they need to. Mm. And that that is the, the kiss of death with essential oil. That's it, geranium oil. That's one I've not used for a long time. Uh, that's a good geranium oil. Mm. Really, really good. 
Wales as well. When I, when I first travelled down to Darrenth, when we were just sort of on the verge of forming new sort of new debates, and I thought Tim and myself knew more about bait than anybody on the planet until I arrived at Darrenth and they were all about five years in front of us. Uh, and, and Geranium Hall was, was one of the big ones there, without a doubt. That's it. And boot you as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you I don't know, I don't know if we discussed this on the last one hour. I don't I don't think we did. Have you got much experience with, with boot you or the skunk oil? None at all. No. None at all. No. I shan't ask you for comment then. <laughs> well, I he's caught he's caught a few fish. No doubt mm. about that. But no, it's not one. It's not uh, it's not one we've ever used. We used quite a few extensively that never saw the, dark, the light of day. We used patchouli oil quite a bit that was very, very floral. Um, it, it's like a lot of essential oils. It's very inconsistent. It did remarkably well on some places and nothing at all on, uh, um, on others, which as a commercial bait company, that's, that's no good. You know, you've, you've, got to, you've got to go with the things that are good across a wide range of waters mm-hmm. and that's it and before i sort of um pass back over to sam because i know he's got got a long line of questions for you bill um you sort of said that was that was that patchouli royal patchouli yeah patchouli. it was, a, yeah. was one of the old hippies used to wear in the 70s used to used to smell really really floral not okay. not really like i always think a carp bait should smell Mm-hmm. But it, it, it did work quite well. It worked well. Yeah, that's 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 one I've I've, I've jotted that down. I will uh, mm. I'll, do, I'll do some reading on that one. Yeah. Um, was was there any other sort of essential oils you were exploring with that that sort of struck a note with you, but perhaps never made it into commercial sort of bait production? I, I did quite well for a while on borage. I mean, I don't think it had. I don't think it went on. I think it it died a death pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, I mean, when we launched the full range of essentials, I think we had 30 or 31 of them in the Nutribase range. Oh, wow. And I think that, I think that covered most of them. I mean, some were just impossible for, for financial reasons. Yes. Um, I mean, with it, with essential oils of products like that, it's not, it's not just the price. If, the price is high, like it was with acetate oil, and you only want one drop a pound or one drop a kilo. The price is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. But if the price is high and you want three mils a kilo, then the price becomes a, bit, a big problem because your punter's going to have to buy it in forty mil bottles or something like that, and that makes it ridiculous. Whereas as of a tea, we used to sell it in ten mil bottles, and it last. Um, it last the customer forever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And as you sort of alluded to before, it's um, you certainly never, never cut your products. You always sold them as they as they came to you. Yeah, the the only one we cut was a version of the leak oil that we advertised that we cut because everybody was trying to get less than a dropping, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously you couldn't do without cutting it. Yeah. And that was one that you said you sort of um you used to use almond oil uh, as a good base. Yeah, to... we cut it with almond. Yeah, it's interesting you say about the patchouli. I've got 
I've got, I must have every bloody essential oil next to me. I, I went on a purchasing rampage. Um, I've got mm. a, like a, a test. It's a pond uh, in my in my garden. I've got all sorts of things going on. Patchouli is one of those ones that just didn't, I mean, I've read about it um, and it being used yeah. in times gone by, but it just, it, it's not something that my fish particularly took to. Um, so it's interesting you say that. Yeah, it's, it's a funny one. It, 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 Took some waters apart, and it did nothing at all on what it was very, very weird. Yeah. Very did you, strange. Did you ever um I'll tell you one that's got some interesting properties on paper. Did you ever play around with wintergreen at all? Uh we had samples. We never we never sort of went any further than that. That's that's one of the few ones I haven't tried, but on paper it's it's got some interesting points to yeah. it, for sure. I'll yeah. t- I'll tell you what's a really, really underrated essential oil and that's fennel yeah that's yeah. a fabulous essential oil yeah. absolutely fabulous did you use i'm probably we, pronouncing it wrong but kajaput and again we we had samples of dozens and dozens and dozens and <laughs> dozens yeah and you, you, you couldn't try them all but nah. again i'm familiar with it but no we never used it okay 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 perfect um just whilst we're on the uh the the note of essential oils um you wrote sorry you wrote before um about emulsifying essential oils i think you even sold an emulsifier at one point didn't you is that we did, yeah yeah so i mean for me in my mind it's it's i've never worried about it because i'm adding it to eggs which have emulsification properties and often yeah. with a flavor as well which generally they help with the emulsifying do you think a dedicated emulsifier is needed or not so much? The, the problem is the emulsifiers, I mean, the emulsifier that we used to sell was glycerol-based. Yeah. Um, the emulsifiers that truly have emulsification properties that will make a difference are ones that you don't really be want to be putting in a car bag. That's the problem. I mean, there's an emulsifier that, called sodium laurel sulfate, yeah. which is an unbelievable emulsifier. But it's not something I'd want to include in a carpet. No. You know, I can't pretend that we never did because we did. Uh, but the, the, the more we looked into it, the more we thought, although we're using tiny amounts, you know, you don't really want to be using this. But I don't, I'm not sure how valid it is. You know, I, I used to, a lot of people used to say to me, oh, I put the essential oil in a fridge. If it thickens, that needs emulsifying. Well, s- cinnamon oil, oil used to go very, very viscous in a fridge, but it didn't need emulsifying. I think it's, well, like you say, eggs are terrific emulsifier. You know, and I, I think that's sufficient, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Uh, last sort of point on essential oils. I think a lot of people are interested in this. We've spoken about essential oils on so many different podcasts, and this is a question that keeps coming up. Um, and you're you're probably you know the best guy we could ask about it. When average Joe public are trying to choose an essential oil that's going to work, I mean, we mentioned on the you know earlier about the Casier essential oil on yeah. part one, um, and you said you know s- s- some of them are just different gravy to others. How can average Joe public go about choosing an essential oil that's high quality, or is it literally just a case of trial and error? 
it's difficult because it doesn't say this is high quality or, or, mm. um, or this is crap on the bottle, does it? I mean, to me, I, if you, I don't know how many bake companies sell essential oils these days, but I would always try and buy from a bake company and buy from one that you trust implicitly, um, which again is difficult, but. And the basic sort of rule of thumb, if you see, I mean, there are exceptions. I like to think you get what you pay for. If you see a black pepper oil for three quid for 20 mil, it can't happen. You know, not with proper black pepper oil. No. So, you know, if something sort of sounds too, uh, a bit too good to be true price-wise, there's a fair bet that it is. Mm. Um. But I don't know how popular essential oils are at the minute. I mean, They're when not. we mm. went back to the mid '90s, we used to sell enormous quantities. But as we mentioned in the first part, everybody's using pretty much the same sort of style of bait now. Um, but the potential of it—I mean, I'm a huge fan of them. I think the potential of essential oils is endless. Definitely, and they're not popular now. Like, there's not many companies. No, I don't. I don't think they are. No, I don't. No. I don't think they are. I mean, towards the end of my time at Nutribase, so I don't. I don't know what's happening now. We had the same old four or five that sold big quantities. You know, your black peppers, your garlics, your mm. clove. Apart from that, it was all work, and it never used to be. Mm. But it, but if you go back, as I think we mentioned in the first podcast. If you go back 25 years and you'd get 20 people on a lake, probably five would be using fish meals, five would be using bird food with fruit flavors, a couple would be using milk proteins with essential oils. Now, everybody's using the same type of bait. Mm. And I think there's fewer and fewer people rolling their own bait. So unless you give it to a trusted bait rolling company, you're buying bait straight out of the freezers, straight off the shelf, and it's got in it what it's got in it. I mean, how many people do what we used to do and make bait up in the kitchen or in the garage or whatever? I don't know anymore. Not as many, that's for sure. Definitely not as many. No, definitely not. I mean, and here's the thing, right? Let's say you're getting, I think you mentioned this before, actually. Let's just say you're getting a, a a good solid fish meal bait. I mean, what it's it's going to have eight ten percent pre digested, maybe twenty to thirty percent LT ninety four. A lot of them are very similar, and it's the the little bits that yeah. are different. It's mostly the same thing. Yeah, bit of liver, bit of robin red. Yeah, bit of liver, bit of robin red. Maybe some brewer's yeast as well. It's it's all very very yeah. samey, isn't it? Do you think? Yep. Um, a different flavor or essential oil is a chance to differentiate baits between the others, or do you think actually yeah, you're better off going for like a bird food or a, a high pro milk or, or something like that? I think the problem with fish meal baits, I think they're so effective once fish get on a good bird food bait, you know, or, or a bait that contains a good percentage of bird food in its makeup. I, I think they get pretty much preoccupied on the bird food, on, on the fish meal concept. So I think if you're going to go in with another 
comparable quality fish meal bait, you're going to catch your share. If you try and go against the grain and go in with a yellow bird food that smells of cranberry or whatever, I think you've got a bit of a battle on your hands, if I'm honest. Um, the problem is a lot of these waters now, they see so much fish meal that it's hard to get onto anything else. Mm. See, that's the, and that's the quandary, isn't it? For the home bait maker, do you just stick with the going thing that actually yeah. they're just seeing as natural yeah. food? Or do you roll the dice and go for something completely freaking different? That's the, that's the question you've got to I ask, think it, isn't it? I think it? I think it very much depends where you're fishing. I mean, if you're fishing a lake where one bait dominates that lake, if I was going to go out on a limb and do something different, I'd try and go and produce a higher track bait because you're not going to compete with the amount of that feed bait that's going in. So I would go, I would look at something like NFI or, or something with a lot of inbuilt attraction um, because you're not going to compete with what's happening on that. You can't. No. no. I mean, a lot of these lakes in England and in France to a certain extent, I think people have seen what happens when you feed a lake with pellet, perhaps through the winter, through the autumn. So they've got fish meal in them as well although the vast majority have. So if they're feeding fish meal, the lake holders feeding fish meal, the punters then come and buy the house pellet. They use them in, in conjunction with fish meal bait, and it, it's just, they're just bombarded with fish meal. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're just little bobby on your own with a, a milk protein or a nut mix and everybody else is shoveling uh, and the sort of fish meal in, you are up against it. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. And I do, I do worry. I, I, I don't really, I'm not sure it's a health issue, um, but I do think there's a pattern emerging with half the world using fish meal baits mm-hmm. and winter fishing not being quite what it was. Do you I reckon? mean, I think last winter, I think there could be. I mean, if I go back to when I started winter carp fishing, we didn't used to catch as many. We used to catch them. And we used to catch probably the better fish in better condition. Now, there's waters in my area where I live. They go four months without producing a fish in winter. Mm-hmm. And you think, well, there's a lot of fish in here. You know, it's just, you can just go for, for weeks on end and it, it's just as if there's not a carp in there. Um, and, and you do wonder if there's some connection with the sort of higher fat fish meal baits um, and the reluctance from to feed in winter, whether they've got to st- store the protein and the fats, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure, but I think there's a path between between waters that are bombarded with fish meals and those that stop fishing in winter. Do you think that's because of the fish meal they see in the in the spring, summer, autumn, or do you think it's because people are still feeding high fish meal content baits within the winter? I suspect it's more what they see for 
for sort of nine months of the year. Mm. I mean, I I wouldn't have a problem in winter you, you using a fish meal bait, but my idea of a fish meal bait is different to other people's because if you look at trigger that had fish meal in it, trigger ice that had fish meal in it, um, the formula from RG that has fish meal in it, and big fish mix that has fish meal in it, they're all probably 30% fish meal. Mm. Whereas a lot of these cheaper and more cheerful uh, fish meal baits have got up to 60% in it. So I think I think there's fish meals and fish meals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I definitely. mean, if you go back a few years, everybody used to get as much fish meal in a bait as they could because you couldn't, you could get so much for your money. You know, they were they were three hundred and fifty pound a ton for years and years and years. Now they're much more than that. I suspect the amount that people are putting in has probably dropped a bit. Yeah, our last guest, uh, Stephen White, his friend, Ooh. sent off some. Um, so some different baits from from well-known company um and, and got them analyzed and yeah they came back pretty low in protein i mean i'd like to ask you obviously yeah. not, to, not to give anything away about your old mixes but what would you say would be the protein content of uh, a good fish meal that was produced commercially by a company well i know what ours was because we had everyone analyzed and it was all on the packaging um and it did surprise me a little bit. Um, ours, our best mixes were coming back sort of 40%. Protein, 40% protein? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did, did you think it would be higher or lower than that? Yes, I did. I thought it would be a bit higher than that. Higher, yeah. I mean, 40%, if, if you were to look at what is ideal for a, a car, that's still that's quite on the high side. I don't think that's low. Yeah, it's good. It's good. I just expected it to be, to be a tad higher. Mm. But 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 as we said in the first podcast, protein's only one bit of it. Mm. Yes, for sure, for sure. You know, without yes. doubt. Yeah, but presumably, if the winter fishing is being affected, but presumably a lot of that is protein, right? Or are you thinking more along the lines of fat? I think it's fat and oil. You think it's more to do with the fat content? Yeah, I mean, I'm not... I'm, yeah. I'm not saying that's a fact. No, no, no. I yeah. just, I just don't think. I mean, last winter was an exception. There seemed to be a lot of a lot of fish caught last winter, but I think there has been a bit of a pattern with the emergence of what seventy five percent of anglers, certainly seventy five percent of food bait anglers. I would say using baits with fish meal in them. Yeah. And, and I think that that there is a pattern with that and the, de- uh, uh, and the decline in the amount of, of fish we get in during the colder months. Yeah, yeah. I guess maybe it's literally just that they are getting such good nutrition these days all year round. Yeah, I think they, that's they, it. They perhaps don't need to. It, it might not even be a bad thing, mightn't it? Um, for the fish. No, no, I'm not saying it is. I just think mm. I just think there's a pattern with fish meal baits. Yeah. For sort of nine months of the year. Yeah. Uh, and the declining winter fish. But 
No, no, definitely. It's interesting. In terms of a winter bait, I mean, do you subscribe to the fact that, um, you know, keep the protein fairly high and make it from milks that generally absorbs better in the gut tract with the low enzyme count? What What are your thoughts on, on a winter bait if you were to formulate, you know, your go-to winter bait? How would you do it? What would you be focusing on? I think, I think digestibility is massive. Mm-hmm. Um, a bait that's lower in fat would always be my choice. Some wheat germ would always be my choice. But I think the main thing, and people miss it, I think, is certain attractors have a fantastic track record in cold water, and some don't. And you can have the best attractor in the world in summer, and it might not happen in winter. So you've got to look back at, at the history of it all. What, what additives have, have produced a good in winter in the past? There's certain, certain flavours, certain essential oils that have an unbelievable track record in cold water. You've, you've got to go down that route. You know, and again, as I mentioned in, uh, in, uh, in the first podcast, pick the phone up or Skype or email or right, whatever you do and ask the bait companies. You know, if, if they're a bait company worth the salt, they want you to be successful really successful with their products so mm-hmm. and if they don't know which ones are their products that are effective through winter you want to bring the next bait company because they should do definitely you know i i, I mean when i had nutribase i could point you to to 10 products that were exceptional in cold weather either individually or used in combination with one another. um uh, and that's where you point people. I mean, clove oil, black pepper oil, cream flavours, uh, juniper oil, fennel oil. Got a fantastic track record in cold water. So why would you look any further? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. That's the thing. You don't need to reinvent the wheel, do you? It's it's already been No, you there. don't. You don't. I mean, so many people make this bait game so complicated. And to me, you want to let, unless you really enjoy it, like you like you two guys obviously do, let the bait companies do the hard work yeah. by producing a good winter bait, a good autumn bait, a good year-round bait. And you just mould it to suit your needs. I mean, you get additives that are very instant. You get additives that need a bit of pre-baiting. It goes back to what I said. You've got to pick what what suits you. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. And so, is... so, so important. Mm. Mm. And there is. Mm. Uh, let's be honest. I, I've been messing about with bait since I was about 19. There is no magic answer, is there? Mm. You're never going to come up with this bait that a carp can't swim past. You know. And without sort of picking it up, the only thing you can do is stack the odds in your favour all the time. And 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 the golden rule: pick what suits you, have the courage of your convictions, and stick with it. The answer is not to change to Fred Bloggs's bait because the guy on the opposite bank did well on that bait last week. You know, don't change flavour to cranberry because the bloke next door had torn cranberry and new black. 
pick your bait, stick with it, believe in it. That's the thing, isn't it? And I mean, as as into bait as I am and Pete is, you know, we're we're fully passionate about it. You, mm. you what? It hampers your angling because let's say you you're hundred percent confident in a bait, hundred percent confident in your hook baits, you're confident in your rigs. What? what where is your energy going? It's going into finding the fish and you know unpiecing the other parts of the puzzle, which I think are really really important. Um, yeah. So, of course it makes sense it makes absolute sense you know and it, it's like you said before it's, it's like we said about the all this experimenting is okay it's great great fun but it's like we said about the field testing you know and like and ken townley had a wonderful expression about field testing he was it's not all beer and skittles and it ain't so i mean if if you want to take the safe route Pick a bait, you know, pick a bait that's got a track record and you can take that bit out of the equation almost. I mean, I, a lot of people you said to me, what, what bait are you using last year and uh, uh, um, this year? And I'd say the same one I used last year. I mean, I used the identical trigger recipe for about 12 seasons. Mm. And I used to feel like sort of when I did the the... Uh, exhibitions. I, I I used to feel like it's not what they want to hear. This what they're using this year, Bill. Same as I used last year. Same as I used year before. Same as I used year before that. And some of them don't want to hear that. But you know, a good bait has an unbelievably long catching life. Mm. You know, and very often, if it does start to slow, it's because you've caught too many. And the only thing you need to do. Is have a couple of weekends introducing it, perhaps blanking or or, or getting your location wrong, and not uh, and not hooking on it, and it's back to where you were. Mm. You know, but a, a good quality bait with balanced ingredients and se- a sensible label shouldn't blow. Mm. Really shouldn't. No. No. Did you ever enter into the realms of you know perhaps lower? lower nutritional base but it moves through the fish quick and it's got some attractive things in it um yeah i mean enervite was didn't have the food value that big fish mix or trigger or high noval had it was a different sort of concept but it was absolutely packed with attractors and natural attractors for the most part yeah um so it's all horses for course isn't it yeah definitely your uh something along those lines was the cream kajowza you brought those out in a ready-made didn't you that, that yes we did well we did. yeah and i i know well, please tell me if i'm wrong i think that was not as high a food value as some of your other ones right no uh, 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 i mean the nature of a ready-made generally speaking is that it's an attractor bait um more than a food bait so yeah, yeah. Yeah. Your nutritional value is lower, your inbuilt attraction is higher. Yeah. But again, uh, it's like we said, pick what suits you. If you're flitting about here, there, and everywhere, you're not going to get the benefit of the full value of a, a trigger or a formula or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you just need something with pulling power, and that's what ready-mates tend to have. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. It certainly caught a lot of fish in winter as well. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a great smell. I mean, that's another mm. fabulous winter smell. I mean, that part of it has got to be 
people want to buy a bag of that because it smells amazing, you know, and then more people are using it. Yeah. Is more. There's got to be an element of that as well, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, when we used to do the exhibitions, we used to have all the baits open on the front. <laughs> and every time somebody picked up the cream kajowza, you, you knew they were going to buy some. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> which is not, which is nonsense, really, isn't it? Yeah, but, oh God, yeah. You know, but it, uh, it was a great carp catcher as well. It still is. Yeah, it's the same as the, I mean the t- Richworth Tutti. There, I think there's. I really, I know some people disagree with me. I really think there was something in that 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 was really special. I mean, I did really well on that, as many people did. The Esterberry as well. Listen, bad baits don't catch that many carp. No, no. They and don't. I mean, no, I think it had a fair amount of sugar in it. Um, it had the flavor yeah. in it. I probably had some milks in it as well, you know, but it, whether it was high, what we would now class as high nutritional value or not, doesn't freaking matter, does it? It was something that carp definitely wanted to. I, th- I think it was probably, probably mid protein in fairness, but I just think they like it, don't they? There's yeah. often no more to it than that. They just love that smell. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and when you've got people like Lee Jackson saying it's one of the best baits he's ever used, you've got to listen. Well, most definitely. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, um, but but there's something, uh, as I've just said, bad quality baits and um, baits that don't attract carp don't have a track record like the Richworth Tooty. They just don't. No, no. No, definitely not. Do you, I mean, do you think it was literally just that flavour with something else, or do you think there's something else that they were putting in? I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I tend to think it was just a fabulous smell. Mm. You know, it was unlike unlike any other tooty. I mean, every bait company's got a tooty, but that was unlike any one I've ever come across. Yeah. Yeah, that was a Campbell's flavour, wasn't it? Yeah, it caught, caught, I believe so, yeah. It caught so many carp back. Mm. You know, you just can't you just can't argue with it. No, no. You you had a um oh, I don't know if it was Wonder Fruit or something. Did you have an equivalent of the Tutti Fruit? Yeah. Yeah. No, we we had a Tutti Fruity, which in honest in honesty was a a poor imitation of Richworth's. Right, uh, okay. Or stream selects, whatever they are, but no, the wonder fruit was a blend of fruits, but wasn't tooty at all. Right. Okay. Okay. And Tim Paisley wrote it um, somewhere, and this was spoken about on a forum actually not so long ago, and I knew it anyway, but now I've forgotten it. Um, he spoke about adding an essential oil to a flavor base, and that then became one of your flavors. He was fishing a match where. I think it was Bob was fishing as well, so he presumed they were fishing Tootie. Do you know the story I'm on about? Yes, he's on about Fruit Special. Fruit Special, that was which, it. Yeah. yeah, which was uh, an in-house blend of a couple of fruits, a couple of essential oils, one of the kajousers, uh, molasses. Again, just a great smell. It sm- I had a great, great smell. I had a bottle of that. And oh, it's not amazing. Yeah, it did. One of those ones. It is. It is. It. Mm. It's a terrific smell. Yeah. 
Yeah, very nice. You, you had the Jaffa essential oil, didn't you? Did you think much of that, the orange yeah. essential oil? Not as much as some of the others. I mean, it did it did well enough. Um, yeah. But it's it's no black pepper or cloth. No. We recently had um, someone on called Dean Towie, who you, you might not be familiar with. He wrote in Cartworld a bit. and I know the he, name, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. he's clu- he's clued up on uh, he's very clued up on bait, and he mentioned the sweet mm. orange essential oil on the first episode, and yeah. it's it's become the amount of messages we still get on that is absolutely insane, and and since it's just really yeah. blown up, sort of in the bait world and on the forums, everyone's sort of, it's incredible. But um, yeah, there's definitely some better ones that I've tested for sure. Um, yeah, it's a funny one. I mean, we we never did great with it at Nutrimates, but we used to sell it in bulk to a couple of the other bait companies that were using it in their right. ready roll baits. Right. Um, Interesting. It's one of those, isn't it? it? You know, different things are different to different people, aren't they? It's, yeah. it's your experience, and you know. Yeah. Just going off topic a second, the Go guy on. who did the last podcast for you, what was his name? Uh, the last one that we published was Stephen White. Is he the guy with that scaly thing? You've got a scaly thing on your Facebook page. Yeah. When was this posted? Just like God. literally a couple of days ago. Oh, yeah. The, yes. Yeah. yeah. He's on with a heavily scaled mirror. What That's a it. fish that is. Yeah. God That's from me. Yeah. From Acton Burnell, that is. Is it really? It is. Yeah. What a is- Fabulous fish that is. It blew me away. That kind of looks like a foreign fish to me. Um, I, I don't mean, care it's... whether it's from Mars. It's just <laughs> fabulous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Stephen. He's he's done pretty well up on acting. I think. Um, yeah, sounds like it. Yeah. Mm, yeah. He, How uh, big's that fish then? I don't know. I think it. I don't know. To be honest with you, not, not that it matters. No, I have forty plus. I think. Um, yeah, what what a fish that! Goodness me! Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he he catches a few. Stephen does. He really does. He's got mm, some interesting yeah. theories on uh, on bait and yeah. uh, attracting different fish. And he's an interesting guy. I hope to get him back on. To be honest, mm. but yeah, cracking fish. Some cracking. people, some people have just got that knack, haven't they? They have. Yeah, yeah. And do, do you know what? I don't think he'll mind me saying he might do. He might send me a shitty text, but he hasn't actually been carp angling that long in the grand scheme of it all, mm. considering he's catching those yeah. fish, I think, around about 15 years. Um, but the knowledge yeah. he's now managed to accumulate in those 15 years is phenomenal. Uh, you know, he he, he yeah. knows his onions when it comes to catching them, that's for sure. Mm. Yeah. I just think some people have got that little bit, something special about them, you know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you, in the last one you briefly mentioned um, Terry Hearn. He's just he's on it, isn't he? He's not half assing anything. Oh yeah, yeah. I think it's it's yeah. got to be. I, a, I don't, it's it's work ethic and I, a little bit of natural talent. Got to be right. I don't know what he's doing, but it's t- t- totally different than what I'm doing. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. It's just just unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. But but when you watch his interviews and um, and read his stuff. He just infuses it, doesn't he? He's just fabulous. Huh? He just, you can't watch his stuff and not be drawn in, can you? There's something no, about no, him no, as a person. No, no. 
and it's not just yeah. no i don't think it's just that we know what he's caught i think if you didn't know who the who the hell he was and you listened to him you'd be like oh shit that that guy's passionate you know there's something about yeah, him there's, isn't there? there's a lot of people caught a lot of big fish these days but yeah. he's just uh he's what i like in a carp angry he seems to approach it in the right way perhaps i'm a bit a bit a bit old school i don't like all this shouting and roping and and he just seems to, the way he approaches his fishing is just how it should be for me. Yeah. Proper angler and a proper gentleman, isn't he? Or at least he seems Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, it, uh, and he's one of them, um, I've just written in Carpology about, about these all-rounders. And I'm sure if, if he had the mindset to do it, he could do it easily. But the, these guys who, if I concentrate on one water in a year, I'm, be it in England, be it in France or whatever, I'm quietly confident I can do okay. You look at, at some of these guys, they're catching big fish of six, seven different species in a year. Mm. And you just think, how, how do you do that? You know, it's just, they're the anglers for me. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's not that hard in this day and age to to sit there long enough on the right water until you get a couple, is it? I don't think so. No. And I think there's... You, you sort there's of need the mindset to do it. Yeah. And you need no no job and the funds to do it and all that, but it's not... <laughs> mm. that, that's not what you do, don't you? But it's not, um, it's not like catching five or six species of big fish in a year. No. That just blows me away. I mean, I think there is such thing as a natural angler. I mean, if you look at this is sea fishing, so I know it's a bit different from coarse fishing. If you see me bass fishing, it's something I did for several yeah. years. I am absolutely shit at it. I can't catch bass for shit. No. I'm awful. Pete, no. you know, used to rip the piss out of me. Pete can Pete can catch bass. Uh, I cannot for yeah. whatever reason, and I understand angling, obviously, but bass no i just can't catch them that yet there's other people it just seems they can turn their hand to any species and they'll catch them that definitely isn't me yeah i, I think there's also styles of fishing that suits particular people yeah maybe. you know session fishing undoubtedly suits um, sort of suits me um you know a wander down the river with a you know a waggle a dozen you know so it's Everybody has different skills, don't they? And I think you've got to, I think you've got to adopt the tactics that you think you're reasonably good at. Yeah, yeah. And then there, I mean, there's people like Chris Yates who obviously set a record, you know, fishing fairly unconventionally co compared to what yeah. was starting to come out of the woodwork, <clears throat> and still, you know, caught, yeah. you definitely caught his fair share. So, it's yeah, an interesting Chris. phenomena, isn't it? Yeah. But I've, I've probably met seven, eight, ten people in my life who you look at and think he got something a bit special. Yeah. You know, they're not they're, they're not all all sort of household names by any stretch no. of the imagination. No. But there is just a few people. But that's the same at golf, at tennis, at football, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You you just get people who are naturally. Um, exceptional at it who, who don't have to work at it but if you get one of them like Terry 
people worked at it bloody hard as well, then, you know, he's on to a winner. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, different breed, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah. Switching gears back, you know, back onto back onto bait, which is our <laughs> sort of comfort yeah, yeah, zone yeah. on this podcast. We mentioned um, enzymes brief. Well, we mentioned creating hydros. And you mentioned obviously Dave Moore w- was doing some things with that. Um, enzymes, I think, were sold by Nutribates in different things. Um, and I think actually, talking to Dave, I'm sure I read an article of his years ago, and I think it was on a might have been like a Dutch website or something weird. Um, but I read an article of days where he was talking about enzymes. Anyway, enzymes in baits added into actual boilies um, before boiling. Mm. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously heat destruction. I mean, can you talk about enzymes at all? Yeah. It's, I, I, it's not something I do anymore. I mean, we, we did an awful lot of things back in the late 80s, 90s, that I don't deem to be relevant now. Mm. Um, and it's not its not something I've... It probably surprised you to hear. It's not something I've really pursued. I mean, it's, it's a huge deal, but it's not something I've really pursued too much. Not, not in recent years, anyway. I mean, we... We we have the Addict range, which were our first three products of Future yeah. that was Tim's baby. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, the enzyme thing is a huge thing and vitally important, but it's not it's not something I give a great deal of thought to these days. I have to be honest. Mm. Is that because there's a lot of pre-digested products out there, mm. or is it just that it's just too hard? I think to a lot, down? a lot of the hydroslates do the job for you, probably. Yeah, better than a lot of the enzymes could. Yeah, and again, like Pete said earlier, and I'm, pre- I'm sure Pete's got something to say on this, but like Pete said, you need such rigid environments for for these enzymes to work consistently, and of course, you do, diff- you do. Different if you're making bait in your own shed, but you know, on a commercial level, if that bait turns up, like Stephen said last week, you know, if that bait turns up slightly different shade, the customer's yep. going to be calling you every no- name under the yep. fucking sun, isn't he? And moaning about it, you know. So it's, uh, it's tricky. I mean, when we were using the baits with the addicts, every time we went fishing, we used to go with eight or ten thermos flasks. Yeah. And we used to have a kit. Um, a pound and a half in old money in every thermos flask. And we'd open a thermos flask every day. I don't think that's practical now for today's car buying. I don't. I, do you know what? I think... You don't, don't want to be messing about like that, does it? See, I would. I don't think that's messing Yeah, I know you much, would. But, yeah, I know but, you would. Yeah, yeah. But I, no. I think the average guy, if you said, right, go and buy yourself 10 thermos flasks, Freeze them all and open them every day, or go and buy a 10 kilo of cell. I know yeah. what he's going to do. Oh, yeah. You know, without a doubt. Yeah, definitely. It's all too easy now, isn't it? I mean, that's not being critical, but it is a lot easier now. Yeah, it is. It is. It's very easy. I mean, back on the Thermos thing, I'm, I think it was 
Oh, I might be wrong on this. I think it was Sean Harrison that mentioned this. We did a podcast with him. Mm. I think it was the four, first the first podcast we did with him, actually. I'm sure it was him that mentioned taking a Fermos to a lake. And I might be wrong. It might be someone else. Apologies, whoever it was. Um, he, I think he has he has gone down that road, I think. Yeah. Y- yeah. What For those people that don't know what the hell we're on about right now, what was that all about and, and why did you do it? Well, because the theory said that an enzyme-rich bait had to be used within 24 hours of the bait being made or 24 hours of it thawing out, and that the enzymes, which were an expensive part of the overall package, were totally inconsequential if you went beyond the 24 hours. So, I mean, we used to look at our watches and think we, we've got to put this bait in now and I used to think well might not get eaten for a day and a half mm-hmm. it, it, you know so it was all about keeping everything active and we were convinced that you had to do that within 24 hours mm-hmm. um, of, of the bait being thawed out but again in those days if you used a couple of pounds a night a bait you thought you were using a lot. Yeah. You know, um, there's people all, all over the country now who've, who've dropped that out of the carpool and left it on the floor, isn't there? A couple of pounds. Well, there is. Left it for the there rest. Is. It's just, yeah. it's just it's a different world we're living. Yeah. And I just don't think enough people would mess around if that's the right way. And I don't... We haven't all stopped catching carp since we stopped doing it. I mean, we used to we used to live by it being tipped. We used to go to the mangrove with these thermos flasks and had, they, they were all numbered, you know, or, <laughs> or Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, all that, yeah, you know. When yeah. I think back, God, we, we were making it hard. We were just, just complicating it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it is. I think it is. I mean, yeah. Unless you were using enzymes, and then obviously there's there's great value in doing that, but you'd need to add the enzymes after, you know, obviously. Yeah, um, it's, it's like that the hydroslate thing we said about Dave Moore. For me, it's not an exact science. It, it, it's not consistency enough for me. I like consistency in, in the base I use, and it, I just I just don't get it in that in that respect. Do you think that's important consistency in what? Yeah, you're of course. To fish? Yeah, absolutely. No, not absolutely. in terms of not in terms of what what you're selling to the the consumer now. In terms of the fish having that that consistency in their feed, or what? I think if you're trying to get a bait, I mean, obviously it's important if you're selling a bait to an end user. But I think if you're trying to establish a food bait, yeah, you mm. want that consistency, like we just mentioned not in terms of shape and size and things like yeah. that and yeah. buoyancy, but certainly in terms of the recipe and the, I mean, I, I'm absolutely obsessive about being every pound of bait I use is exactly the same as the next one. Absolutely obsessive. Would you, I mean, I know, I think I know what your answer is going to be. And I think you take a really sort of refreshingly simple approach to it all, but what do you think? I'll ask it anyway. What do you think that is? Is it what are the carp 
seeing is consistent? Is it that balance of amino acids and organic acids and X, Y, or, or is it just the flavor notes of it? What What is it you think that the carp is, are reading the same or are they reading absolutely everything that's in that bait? I don't know. If, I think that's a shit. Well, we'll never know. Hopefully, you know what I mean. The, well, I've got a shit answer as well, so don't worry. <laughs> because, because I, I, I think the easy answer is we don't know, do we? No. You know, but I, I know with our dogs, if I get, you can tell by the biscuit that we get, if it occasionally varies a bit, mm. and if it varies they're a lot more picky than they are if it's how it should be. There's, there's no question about that. You know, they like what they like. And I think how much a fish can tell if it's exactly the same, I don't know. There's, there's no way we can know. Um, I think a lot of it might be a confidence thing. You know, to me, I need to know that the bait I'm putting out tomorrow night is the same bait I put out tonight. Exactly the same. Exactly the same in makeup, exactly the same in additives, inclusion rates of additives. Um, and I think that's vitally important. I think the only way I like to mix it up is to mix up the things to confuse them from a, a catching and pumping sort of point of view. And that is more the size, mi mixing up the weights of the bait sometimes. Mm. Um, you know, I, um, I've um, I think that can be a, 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 a real biggie, not just the sizes, but the weights. You've got to keep them guessing. You've, you've got to make them want to want that food, which stands to reason you want it to be identical every time. Yeah. But you want them to throw caution to the wind and not tweak that there's a hook attached to one of them, basically. Yeah. Do you think they can detect things like the metal hook, the hook length material, putty, things like that? Well, people who know a lot more about these things than I do will tell you they can. Mm. Um, I just think they can associate some things with danger. Um, if, if, every, if every time I give my dog a biscuit, I smack him on the nose, the end of his nose, he'll yeah. soon get fed up with that. Mm. But if I give him 200 biscuits and then give him one and smack him on the end of the nose, he'll just keep coming back, coming back, coming back. Yeah. I had this thought earlier when we we're talking about French fish. Um, you know, yeah. quite, a lot of people would say they're easier, but you've got to think they're probably, they're bigger right generally speaking now okay i know you could pick holes yeah, in this but yeah. generally bigger so they're, they're eating more baits they're eating more freebies without getting hooked so mm. you know if if i mean it doesn't work like this but if a fish on a syndicate eats a thousand baits and then it gets hooked once well if a, a fish abroad you know a bigger fish that's eating a lot of bait if they're eating a found you know ten thousand different particles and then getting hooked, obviously it's, it's going to be a little bit less cautious you know I wish there was a better yeah. way I could sum that up, but I think you know what I mean. Uh, that's got to come into the play. thing with the thing with French fish. They vary enormously. Mm. You know, you can you can go to some French venues, irrespective of the size of fish, depending what pressure they've had, the 
the, how many, what the stock's like. And it's like clubbing seals. You know, it is easy. So, so easy. And you can go to other lakes, like Luke Buffett's Lake, like Gigantica, like Dream Lakes. There's somebody in their main swims, or the prime swims, you know, COVID aside, every week of the year. You know, and I think people forget that, and that even the toughest English water, or the more, most pressured English water, doesn't have somebody in every swim every week of the year. But a lot of these commercials do. Yeah. Well, certainly anything apart from the absolute depth of the winter, but certainly from, if you take the main swims, I've never fished Dream Lakes, but if you take somewhere like Dream Lake or Gigantica, the hot swims will have somebody in them from Saturday to Saturday, the vast majority of weeks of the year. And they're all fishing similar spots, the spots where the bailiff suggests, or they're all doing this, they're all doing that. So them fish are very, very pressured. Um, and they're not easy to catch. I mean, you look at Gigantica, uh, which I've not fished, but I'd love to. Um, them fish are not easy to catch. The fishing in Luke Lake are not easy to catch. But, but, but you can go to a little tang that was stocked a week last Thursday. And as I said, it's like clubbing seals. You know, it's, there's no fun in it for me. You know, I've no, I've no desire to catch 10 fish in a night. If I can catch the type of fish I'm fishing for, if I can catch 10 in a season, I'm happy. You know, so it's uh, the, there's French fish and French fish. The, the what I call the French stockfish tend to be very, very easy to catch. The fish in Cassienne, in Gravier, you know, they're not easy to catch. They're just not. They're very, very pressured been fished for by some of the best anglers in Europe for a lot of years. You know, they're not going to, they're not going to be easy to catch. Yeah, definitely. When you go abroad, or when you fish in the UK, actually, do you, do you fish in the UK now, or is it solely abroad that you do? I fish, the only fishing I'm doing, I'm looking to join somewhere in the UK this year, to be or next year, to be honest, because this COVID thing has, has brought home the fact mm. that I, I need a few more options than what I've got. The only fishing I do in the UK is local, which, because I live up here in Rotherham, they're not particularly big fish. I'm mm. not a member of any syndicates, but I enjoy doing an evening, doing a few days on lakes that I grew up on, you know, and I'm never going to, I'm never going to rewrite the record books, but I, I like them. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things I'm trying to do at the minute, probably the closest lake to me that's of interest is about five or six miles away. It's got a, a handful of good 20s. It had a couple of 30s, but it's, uh, it's sort of sadly died. And what I'm trying to do is catch one of the fish in there that I can recognise from the album when I was a teenager. Uh-huh. Which yeah. is just a personal thing, you know, but I can... I can be fishing there within half an hour of leaving home. I want two rods, a low chair, and a flask, and I'm fishing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's the mainstay of the UK fishing. But yeah. I, I am look, I am looking to join somewhere, but quite where I don't know. It, how how big is that fish that you want to catch again? It does the size doesn't matter. 
What in this lake? Yeah. What in? Well, there's no thirties in there. No, I, no. But I mean, there's a. I think there's a handful of fish in there that I will have in my album from when I was seventeen, eighteen. And you want to? And catch I'd them love again. to just say, oh, oh, look at this, twenty-six yeah. pound, and there it was at three yeah. and a half. You know, it's just he, a bit of fun, but the mm-hmm. nice old gnarly things, and it's not easy fishing. Um, but it's quiet, and you know, I just like it. There. I but love that. The stuff. thing that does it. The thing that does it for me, you know, when I go there, it brings back a lot of memories. But you know the thing more than anything that brings back the memories? It's the smell of the place. Mm. It brings the memories flooding back. I, I, I fished a lake in Cheshire an awful lot um, in the early 20s, a lake called Lim Dam. Um, and when the COVID first started, when we were allowed to travel, I thought, I'm going to have a run across to Lim Dam. And it was a quite a public place, and you, you got all sorts of dropouts and that walking around it, but it was a nice place. And there was a burger van um, on the road, on the damn wall. And as soon as I got out of the car, I could smell the burger van and the rhododendrons that are all the way around it. And it just brought everything back from 35 years. Just amazing. Funny, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely amazing. But I, I, I do want to join some. Let's tell you one. No, go, go, go on, go on. No, I, I am looking to join somewhere in the UK that'll give me not a target fish, but somewhere that makes me want to go. You know, because at the minute most of my fishing's abroad. I love that, but the sort of lockdown and not being able to travel mm. has brought it home that I need a couple more strings to my boat. Yeah, but uh, I've got I've got a few waters in mind, and I don't mind I don't mind travelling in the UK. So um, I mean that's the one good thing about fishing in Europe. Travelling three hours is just it's nothing. So um, I don't care where in the UK it is. I'm going to find somewhere. I'm somewhere quiet. Well, well, hopefully quiet. <laughs> I was going to say. I mean, you mentioned the the scaly carp earlier. Cotswold, Cotswold Water Park. We got some scaly fish down here. Um, but, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It gets busy, unfortunately. You mentioned quiet, and it's it's bloody. I see. I did a lot of my fishing in Cornwall uh, for carp. Anyway, I grew up around here, but then I moved mm. down. And uh, yeah, it's different up here, and it's so it's horrible. You know, busy waters. It's not. Yeah. Fun. It's you not see, fun. What, what, one of the things I've got to be a little bit careful of. I don't mind doing these things at all. I've worked in the industry 35 years. You know, what I dread, and I don't want to come across as being rude as an, or antisocial, but when you see them coming up with a low chair and you think, oh, it's good all day. You know, and it's just, so, so um, I've always wanted to be a field tester. You think, no, it's oh, <laughs> You know, they, I, yeah. I'm just like a plumber, you know, when I'm you know, on my time, I don't want to talk about plumbing. No, you know, so, sense. you know, I'm not antisocial. I'd like to think I'm not rude and I've got time for everybody. But <laughs> it, I do have to pick a little bit where I fish because it's it can be murder. Yeah. Really can. It, uh, in Europe also, you know, it's I just like my own space, you know? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
couple of waters over here that might fit the bill if you're interested let me know i'll tell you about them but yeah, yeah. i know what you mean it, last thing i just i just find it hard to get my head around you know people plotting up next to you when there's x amount of water free yes i know you know you want to get on the fish and stuff but it's not all about well, to me it's not all about catching the carp it's going and getting a little bit of solace being out in nature and of course enjoying it is. The whole I mean, experience I, you know i i love my fishing more than i ever have done but truthfully i care less and less about what i catch yeah yeah you know i really do i mean i'm nobody's sort of happier than me if i can catch one of the fish that i'm after but i used to i used to cut myself up on the way home if i blanked i don't do that anymore. i mean i think i think as you get older and you watch people around you get older you realize that there's a lot more in life to worry about don't you? yeah yeah and it's yeah, some people are on a total different end, aren't they? And I think you you would refer to them yeah. as carp tigers, which I find hilarious because it sums yeah. them up really well. Yeah. You know, people that are just so, yeah. you know, so bloody minded on, you know, making that kill and, you know. I think it's great. I've, yeah. I've been there, I've done all that, you know, but so I forget who, who it was. Somebody once said to me, you know, you can catch... 100 UK 40s, 10 UK 50s, and do this, never catch an imported carp, ne never fish abroad for a carp, it'll say nothing on your head, so. Yeah. You know what I mean? It'll never say loving father of three who never fish for an imported carp. No. You know, and it matters enormously to you. Non-angles don't give a hoot, do they? No. Yeah, exactly. It's a funny one. It's a funny one, but just that, that's the great thing about angling for me. I mean, the the stuff I write in carpology and used to write in carp world. There's a few guys out there who I, I bump into and they take it all a bit seriously what I write. You know, the great thing about carp fishing is, you know, you you mentioned him a while ago. If you want to fish like Chris Gates, fish like Chris Gates. If you want to travel abroad after big fish like I do, do that. If you want to fish a busy syndicate in Britain where you're fighting for swims, do that. You're free to do it however you want. You know, but the key is, do it how you want to do it. And that's the wonderful thing about it. I'm not being critical of anybody. You know, I, I, went, I went down to Lake the other week and he... Um, there was a young guy there, and he, he couldn't look at me. I thought, there's something wrong here. I said, you're all right. <laughs> and he apologised for, for you was in a rod pod because I'd put in carpology that <laughs> it should be banned. And... Oh, God. <laughs> and he, <laughs> honestly. Yeah. And you just think, you've got to be so careful. You really are, because people people take it all so seriously. Yeah. But, um, I don't mm. But no, I'm... I'm I definitely love it more than ever and worry less and less about what I can. Are you still going out fairly regular? I go abroad as often as I can. I'm quite lucky. I go five, six times a year. I mean, I'm in a, I'm in a position now. I can't always do it, depending on who I go with. But it makes sense to go for a fortnight now because obviously it saves money on transport, on ferries, mm. on petrol and all that. Um, so I do that when I can, not always by any means. Um, but as I say, I want to 
I want to join somewhere in the UK so I can fish more at home because I do. I look forward, I count the days to my next trip abroad. And the day I stop doing that, I'll realise that I'm fishing. I'm fishing the wrong water or something because yeah. I get as excited now as I did when I was 16. Doing um, but I do need somewhere in the UK without a doubt. It's just good for the soul. If angling is in your blood, yeah. I think it's good for the soul just to get away. You know, I I I fish for two and a half hours this evening. Um, yeah, on a lovely little water, very low stock, and I'm testing some hook bait, our, our upcoming hook baits, uh, which aren't the new ones to be released. They'll these will be released in the summer, just for those that are on the waiting list yeah. for hook baits. But just to get out, sit there, listen to all the birds, soak it in. The bees are, uh, uh, you know, the few bits of blossom that are out on the trees, the bees are there collecting. Just soaking in that side of things, you know, it is good for the soul. There's nothing better, is it? No. There is nothing better. No. I mean, I think, I think why I originally started fishing abroad a lot was when I had Nutribates, it, it, ran, it ran my life for a lot of years. I'm not, I'm not being critical of that, but it did. If I tried to get to Cheshire for three days, it never happened. If I tried to get to Kent for four days, it never happened. Something always came up. I always put work first. If I booked a ferry, I booked a lake in France or or arranged with a mate of mine to go, I'd, I'd mark it on the yearly planner in my office and I would go. And I think that's where the foreign trip started. You know, it, it suited me more with work. Um, as I say, I've got the opportunity to now to sort of do fortnights, and I could never dream of going in winter because of the exhibitions. You know, when I do debates, we used to do oh, I don't know, ten exhibitions in I don't know, eight exhibitions in twelve weekends or whatever it was. You just there wasn't time to do anything. Um, whereas now my life's a bit different, but you get other priorities. You know, I lost my dad last year. I'm watching my mum on her last legs. Um, and you think, you know, it's only fishing at the end of the day. I love it more than ever, but it's, it is the most important thing in my life, apart from family. There's no question about that. You know, there's, I couldn't imagine life without it. Uh, I mean, uh, um, as I said to you last time, when I was seriously sort of considering walking away from it, um, I sort of sat there and thought, what am I going to do? And I just couldn't imagine life without it, you know, be it three hours on this lake down the road or two weeks on a, a sparsely stocked big fish lake in France. I just couldn't. They're both wonderful in their own ways, and I just couldn't imagine life without that. Hmm. It's tough, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, it's clearly been such a massive part of your life, you know, it, it, your spare time as well as your work. It's all revolved around fishing, oh, the fishing, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it just... has, but I'm, I mean, a, a very somebody who I respect an awful lot in the industry. We um, we travelled abroad for an exhibition together in about 1989, 1990, something like that. And Nutribates was just showing signs of establishing um, itself in the market properly. And I remember him saying to me. Never ever let your fishing and work get muddled up. Always keep your fishing separate. 
And whilst I've done a few DVDs and stuff like that, I try not to. I try to let work stop there and my fishing start there. I mean, it's not not so much of an issue now because I'm not, apart from a bit of consultancy work, I'm not I'm not working as such anymore. Um, but I've never let the two, you know, become entwined and. Although it's inevitable when you work in the fishing industry that it will happen, mm. I've always, you know, tried to ensure it doesn't. Yeah. The, the black pepper oil is an interesting one. Some people would say that it purely works off of gustation, so taste rather than actual attraction. Do you think it has its mm. own attraction properties or do you think it's all about taste? No, I think it has just its own attraction qualities, without a doubt. You've only got to look at the effectiveness of pink pepper pop. Which we mentioned which are, Yeah. Yeah, which are balls of not very much at all laced with black pepper, and they love them. They definitely do. Yeah. Oh, they do. They mm. do. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you ever fish with particles now, or are you are you just strictly boily only? Yeah, I, I have done over the last the last couple of years quite a bit. Yeah, I mean not huge quantities. Um, as I say, on this water I've been fishing, um, it tends to be fish for a fish, and that's the way to get the big ones. So not not huge quantities, but I'm a I'm a huge lover of hemp. Always have been. Um, the carp in the lake, I'm, I'm fishing, see a little bit of maize. A lot of the Dutch guys use maize. So I've been using, I have a, a little association with carbon baits um, okay. who do some lovely particles. And I, I just use their um, hemp and maize, or hemp maize and tears I have used, but just hemp and maize normally. In fact, I, um, I ordered some yesterday, and I just, I don't think, if you're looking for a particle, I don't think you can be I really don't. T- yeah, tears. I don't do anything to it. I, mm. Yeah, they are very much so. Tears very are much so. Yeah, um, yeah. A mate of mine, Colin McNeil, who's been my regular fishing partner for quite a lot of years, he he comes from a background of more general angling, and he rates tears so highly, really does. Yeah. Um, I, I used hemp and tears last year. Uh, hemp tears and maize um, whether it made any difference to just the hemp and maize I don't know but I love I don't like a lot of hemp but I love a little scratching the hemp in the swamp mm. Is there anything you'll do to your hemp Bill um, preparation wise? Well when um, on my pre-carbon baits days I used to add a little bit of, of Himalayan rock salt to it mm-hmm. um, but the preserved hemp that I use from carbon now that comes in the jars is it's preserved solely with um, salt and with vacuum sealing the the top before you put the lid on. Uh, so that's already got a Himalayan rock salt in it. But I, um, I, I don't do anything with theirs now because it's got a bit of salt in it. But I don't think you have to do a lot with hemp. I really don't. No, I know a lot of guys like to use garlic. Yeah, um, yeah, they they do a carbon do a version of hemp garlic in it. But the further down the road I've got, I just like to try and keep.
keep things as simple as you can because certainly when you're involved or, or were involved in bait like I was, you do fall into the trap of disappearing up your own arse if you're not careful. You've got you, you've got access to so much stuff. Um, and I always, when we set a new employee up, they always used to come to me, you know, what, what bait do I want to be using? So I'd tell them. But for the first year they worked for me, it changed every six weeks because they, they've got so many options around them. Um, and I've always been fortunate um, to be in that position. But you've just got to pick what suits you and stick with it. As I, I keep repeating myself, but I think it's such a big deal. I mean, I'm going back to this lake as soon as I can get out there. I am using the identical tactics to what I used last trip and the trip before. I mean, them two trips have given me unbelievably a 69 and three seventies. So why would I dream of doing anything? Mm -hmm. Be absolute madness, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, it would be. Right. Um, You're discussing earlier with, with, with French lakes in particular, and a lot of these high pressured venues is that, to, to, to people who'll be listening to this, is there any advice you would have for somebody who's going to somewhere like, like Cassian, to somewhere like Gigantica, these lakes that are fished with huge amounts of pressure? Is there any advice you'd give to somebody who's going out there for the first time? The, the best advice I could give, if you're going to a lake of that sort of magnitude, is just fish it like you would an English lake. Mm-hmm. You know, these um, there's some huge fish in there, but let's be honest, the tackle we all use these days, you can land anything with it, can't you? Yeah. You know, but all this, oh, I've got to use 100 kilos of bait in a week because I'm in France. You know, I've got to use 24 mils because I'm in France. I've got to use size 2 ups because I just fish it like I would fish it in. Mm. You know, every lake's different. You know, there's a lot of things to consider. I've got a load of crayfish that seem to follow me around from lake to lake. So I've always, the last three or four lakes, I've fished seriously. I've had massive sort of crayfish problems. So I've had to bear that in mind. You know, do, do your own work. I think too many people, they, they go on the forums, I'm, I'm going to eat tang, whatever. And they change, they totally change what they're doing because they go in there. You know, and then they have a week there, then a week somewhere else. Then next year, you go to two other lakes, and then they moan that they've never had a big fish. If I'd just fished a week here, a week there, and a week somewhere else, I'd hardly have caught any big fish. You know, you wouldn't expect to go to a lake in Oxford or in the Cotswolds and empty it in one week, would you? No, and, no. and yet, people book a lake in France don't catch a 60 and 270s. So next time they go, they go somewhere else and start all over again. To me, I, and it's difficult with the lakes you have to book in advance, but I find a fish or a couple of big fish that I've got my heart set on, and I will stop there until I hopefully catch them. I'll either catch them, they'll die, or I'll get back. Mm. You know, and I'll not get back because I, I tend not to break any rules. So they'll either die or I'll catch them because I won't give in and I won't move on to the next. People are looking for this easy 60, easy 70, 
it don't exist. You know, you can get lucky. Anybody can get lucky. You can go to Oxford and get lucky, but you wouldn't you wouldn't expect to do well by fishing Wellington one week, Horseshoe one week, Cotswold one week. You'd be very lucky to do well fishing like that. How much time have you done on on Cassian, Bill? Uh, never. Okay. I've uh, we um me me and a pal of mine did an exhibition in France and then had an exhibition uh, in Italy the week after. So we stopped out there and we went to Cassian for three days and hired a boat and had a little drift around and a sniff around. But mm. I wished I'd gone 25, 30 years ago. Um, I think I missed the boat. Yeah, it's hard fishing by all accounts now, isn't it? Because it's days only. It You've got to be very committed. It's days only, pressured fish. Um, yeah, I, I wish I'd fished it years ago when Rob Bitchy and all them were on. I'd love to have fished it then, but I didn't really have the means to, to sort of get there in them days. Uh, it's a lake I'd like to think I'd catch a carp from before I turn my toes up, but it'll not be any time soon because I've no I've no immediate plans. Mm-hmm. I I try to fish and try to catch big fish. That other people don't catch from where other people aren't fishing. It's difficult, but it, it can be done. Yeah, no, that's it. That's it. And I know you sort of um your time is precious. Um, but but last just one from me, just just purely from interest, is um is other anglers, Bill. Is, is there anybody in particular who you fished with over the years really sort of shined out to you as a as a particularly special angler? Um There's a guy, he'll not thank me for saying it, um, there's a guy from Hampshire called Mark Pidgeley, who he, I've, I did quite a, well, a bit of fishing down in Hampshire with him in, in the winters quite a few years ago. And he, he's as good an angler as I've ever seen. But there was another guy who was from Sheffield who doesn't carp fish anymore, but he was just... You know, he was quite a bit older than me, and I met him when I was young, and he was just a terrific angler. Um, mm. But I think if you had to sort of pin me down, I think I would say Mark Pitchler. I mean, he taught me taught me so much. But I mean, the biggest the biggest influence I've I've had in my angling life was a guy who's sadly no longer with us now from Kent, called Alan Smith, and. I didn't spend a lot of time with him. I ended up in France one year with him. Um, and I met him a few times on the tip lake at Darren. And he just, he took me under his wing a little bit and he taught me so much about bait, applying bait and the, the sort of mental approach. He, he changed my life really in terms of the way I fish for carp. And I'll never, I'll never be to thank him enough. I mean, obviously I'll, I'd love to think he was still with us, which he is, but he was, mm. just, he was just something else. Absolutely something else. Mm, he just right. had that, he, he had that that we were talking about earlier, just that, something special. You know, but Mark Pidgeley and Alan Smith are certainly right up there. Mm-hmm. That's it. Some people have got it, haven't they? Yeah, without, without question. Um, and I know I said it was going to be sort of one last before we before you let we before we let you go, um, but but one final one is 
I know it's something we could go down sort of rabbit holes and we, we don't have the time to do that, but, but shelf life's in sort of modern carp bait. Um, what's your feeling on shelf life's and where do you think they fit in nowadays? Well, it, everybody talks about shelf life's as if they're poor quality. Um, and everybody speaks about freezer baits as if they're much better quality. Mm-hmm. And there's something in that. But I can make you a fabulous quality shelf life bait. And I can make you an appalling quality freezer bait. So just to say that freezer baits are better quality is nonsense because you don't know that. So basically, what you've got to ask yourself is does the sensible use of a low-level human-grade preservative um, affect that bait in a bad way. And if you think it does, stick with your freezer baits. Um, if you think it's inconsequential, you know, use which, whichever you wish. But to automatically bracket every shelf-life bait as being rubbish, and every freezer bait has been great, is being very naive because at the risk of repeating myself, you can make a rubbish quality freezer bait and a great quality shelf life bait. And people just look at the way they package, look at where you know. I mean, let's be honest, it's no secret. There are bait companies out there, well, I hope it's not a secret, There's, there are bait companies out there whose freezer bait and shelf life bait is the identical product. Yeah. And all yeah. they do is put them in different bags. And the fact that they've got preservatives in the freezer bay means that they can export. We could never export trigger to Russia because it'd have gone off big time it got there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are companies it's the same thing, and yet people have way more confidence if you buy it out of a freezer. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I pretty much exclusively use my own bait. Well, that's a lie, actually. Yeah. It is a lie. Um but I'd, I'd like to, and that's the route I'm going down again. Mm. Uh, but I've certainly got more confidence, I feel, in in freezer baits. And having said that, I, I know a couple of big firms um, where they do, they just re, they rechange the packaging, repackage yeah. it, you, and it's exactly the same bait. Do you yeah. have do you have any sort of theories on its effect on aquaculture or like the, on living organisms within the lake, rotting baits, for example, sitting there for, for weeks on end? Does shelf lives and shelf lives. You know, I like to think the shelf lives we we produced um, and the RG ones, the Nutribates ones, you know, and many other companies. I wouldn't have a care in the world. You know, if you go into mainland Europe, Eastern Europe, and you see them at these shows, and you, and you can't you can't sort of carry thirty quid worth of bait. Could you, you get that much? That scares a life out of me. But, but because you think you can't produce a good quality bait for that money, it's a physical impossibility. Mm-hmm. And yet the, these guys go running around shoveling them all in Cassian and scared the life out of me. But a shelf a, a shelf life bait from from mainline, from dynamite, from Nutribates, from RG, wouldn't bother me in the slightest. Really wouldn't. 
Yeah, no, that's 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 fair enough. I think I guess in my head I've got a, a thing about sort of bacterial processes and Yeah. Yeah. Um I mean when I forget when it was, I had ten glass jars in, on, on my office windowsill and I'd got baits from every company sh- shelf life, freezer baits, and there was no pattern to suggest that the shelf life, the good quality shelf life baits weren't going to break down like the freezer bakes. Mm-hmm. And yet there were some freezer bakes that I think they'd still be here. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's very difficult. You've got, again, ask the bait company. You shouldn't, they shouldn't have a problem answering you. No. You know, as I mentioned, I think in the first podcast, you can't buy rabbit food without knowing the exact contents. Why should you be able to buy carpet? You know, yeah. there's, there's too many people, and I'm not, I'm not ch- chucking a net over Europe, but there's too many people, a lot of them in mainland Europe, as long as they can get a wheelbarrow full for a tenner, you know, they're happy as a pig in shit. That scares the life out of me. You know, l- l- literally, I would not give out my dog for all the money in the world. And yet these fish that we all supposedly love so much and care about so much and, and put on big padded and hooking mats, some people are happy to feed them absolute shite. And that, and that does scare me. So, I mean, the first thing I would do is ring the bait company and say, right, tell, t- tell me about your preserving techniques. If they wouldn't answer, I'd put the phone down. I, th- I think a lot of them would... And maybe I think there's a lot of awful lot of bait companies around at the moment. Maybe a lot of the smaller ones may not even understand uh, what what they're they're essentially putting in a bait to preserve them. Um, no, no. But you don't have to go over the top if you dry them properly and do it sensibly. You mm-hmm. don't have to go over the top. You really don't. That's it. And moisture content's a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, you've got to get the moisture out. I mean. It's the same with a biscuit. You know, the only reason a biscuit don't don't go off is because there's no moisture. Mm-hmm. You know, if you wet them and put them back in the in, in the jar, they go off. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and I know, sort of, time is ticking on. Sam, have you got anything you you wanted to to ask Bill? So, just to sum up, if I, if I can just say one more thing, the long and short of it is whether you're buying bait. In Essex, in Rotherham, in Moscow, or there are some bait companies who care an awful lot about what they're putting into the bait and the effect it's, uh, it's, it's sort of having on the environment. And just like there's good plumbers and bad plumbers, there's some bait companies who don't give a hope, just want your money. Mm. The difficulty is sorting one out for the other. Good note to leave on. It's very true, isn't it? And it's sad. It's sad. Yeah, it is we, true. It is true. Yeah, we said this. We we said this. We touched upon this in the first episode. You know, it's. <clears throat> I haven't known you that well since. Well, I haven't known you at all since we we started this podcast process, and we've been in touch a few times since. But all those years ago, yeah. you know, I was just just a nobody, and I still am a nobody. But I phoned you up for help and you really gave me the time of day and you honestly, you know, answered the best that you could help me out the best that you could. And the passion yeah. is definitely there. And it's, 
I, I hope... I'll always be one of those people. If I can't answer your question, I won't blag it. I'll tell you no. I don't know the answer. You've done it on this podcast. You've been honest. And you've said, oh, when it was yeah. like that, actually, you know, theirs was better. Or You've been very honest. Um, it's yeah. appreciated. I, I hope that lives on. And I'm sure there's other people out there like that now that are doing it. And I, I hope there is. Um, but it's, yeah, it's a nice refreshing change. And I think on this podcast platform, you know, podcasts are getting really big. I think it's a lovely, a lovely refreshing change for people to hear someone that's been in the trenches, done this for a very long time, and that can actually speak with 100% honesty, which you definitely can. So, yeah, thank you for yeah, that. Yeah, I, th- I think that's... No, but I think I think that's probably a little bit easier now. I'm not involved. I mean, you see things from the outside, and sometimes the the mistakes you've made yourself, the things that other companies do right, the things that other companies do wrong. I think that's sometimes easier when the pressures of running your own business have sort of left you. You know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, which is understandable, right? Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. Yeah, well, look, do you know what? I, if I would was to rewind 15 years ago, I would never would have dreamt that I'd uh, I'd be talking to you on a podcast. But here we are. Bill, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate it. I know so many people will listen to this um, and really take a note of what you said. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you and uh, really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks very much for your support. I appreciate it. No worries. Thank you, Bill.